This morning we are continuing in this message series that we started just a few weeks ago uh, as we jumped into uh, the book of James. And so uh, as we do that, um, we're going to continue our way through the letter. Again, we saw um, as we started the series just a few weeks ago um, that we are studying this, what is a a New Testament letter. It it was written by, uh, by James, who is traditionally believed to be the brother of Jesus, um, and uh, was an apostle, is a, was a, a, a cornerstone, pillar church leader in the first century church. Um, and uh, especially he did, served mostly in the church in Jerusalem. Um, and as one of those, those core church leaders, again, he, he, wrote, um, he wrote this letter uh, to the church okay, and to those who already believe in Christ, right, who have already accepted him as their savior, and, um, and then he t- teaches us through this letter, as we've seen through these, these first few weeks, and we'll continue to see as we work through uh, chapter 3 today, right, that he is telling us what our lives will look like as followers of Jesus. Right? And so James, again, is not a book about salvation. In fact, in James, uh, it, it's important to note as much of what it doesn't say as to what it does, because James never addresses um, Jesus dying on the cross or his resurrection, but right? he never addresses the way of salvation or the gospel message because he assumes in the very first intro of, of the letter, he tells us that he's writing to the believers within the church. He makes the assumption that you already have found a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today as we study this letter, uh, I'll tell you, if you are here and, and have not received Christ as your Savior, if you not confess your sins and, and ask Jesus into your life, right, and, and found salvation through him, if you have not joined that journey of faith, I would say is we're glad that you're here, but, but also just the word of warning is don't try to live up to what James tells us to do in this letter, because if you try to do it on your own power, right, without the Holy Spirit guiding you, enabling you, and transforming your mind and your heart, to, to accomplish the things that James gives us to do, you will get frustrated and you will fail. Because these are hard things to live up to, even as a believer, even with the power of the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. Right? And yet it does give us a big challenge as followers of Jesus of saying, what will my life of discipleship look like? What will my journey of faith look like if I take the next step closer to Christ? Right? And he gives us some very practical things to live out in our life. And as we've seen and we'll see again today that James writes with a very blunt and truthful tone. Right? He does not pull any punches. He doesn't mince his words. He tells us exactly the way it is. And yet, there are times within the letter where he, he steps back and you start to see his heart come out behind the truth, the hard truth that he gives us. At the core of the letter is James is pleading us to not just listen to God's word, but to actually do what it says. Because if we do that, James tells us over and over and over again, your lives will be drastically different. You will see the power of God unleashed in your life. The Holy Spirit will work and transform your heart. So if you have your, uh, your Bible with you this morning, I invite you to open with me to James chapter 3. Um, and if, if you don't have your own Bible or don't have it with you today, you're welcome to use the Bibles that are provided for you in the seats. Uh, you can grab one of those, and you'll notice on the outline is, is, are the page numbers of where you can find this passage in those Bibles. Okay, but as we open up to James chapter 3 this morning, uh, we're going to start with verse 
1, James chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Okay, now this is a very powerful verse, again, one that, that gives us this spiritual concept that we cannot look over quickly. So we're going to pause right there with the very first verse. Right, again, as we, as we see part of the, the heart of, of James, that once again, he kind of pleads with us. He's like, dear brothers and sisters, right, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, we might read this verse, right, and, and, the, and think as we sit and read it and, and see this word that jumps out at us, this word teachers and teach in the church. Right, again, our your reaction might be, hey, guess what? I don't teach anything. This does not apply to me. Well, not so fast. Not so fast. Because, again, this word that is translated as teachers, hey, I, I looked up in, in many other translations and, and different ones, this word is, is not as simple as just the teacher that we think of as a teacher. Right, standing in front of the class or standing on the stage and, and teaching the truth about God. Okay, this word is translated several different ways in many different translations. We see the NLT version that we're reading from here translates it as teacher. Okay, the King James version translates it as the word master. Okay, so not many of you should become masters in the church. Okay, another um, part of the definition of this Greek word, okay, is to translate it as doctor. Now again, not as like a medical doctor, but as a PhD, as an expert in your field. And so really what, what James is telling us with this word that he uses, right, is whether it's a teacher or a master or a, a doctor, a PhD level expert in the things of God. And he's telling us, uh, hey, if, if you continue to learn, if you continue to grow, if you continue to apply the things I'm telling you to do, if you move forward in your faith journey, this is going to happen for you. Right? Because the more you learn about God, but the more that you, you apply his, his truths, the more that you live it out in your life, as you grow in your faith, the more that you learn you will naturally have to start teaching and passing on this knowledge. Even if you don't do it on purpose, just from people watching you, you will naturally become a teacher as you mature in your faith. Because there are many behind you on the journey that aren't quite as far. Right? And yet the further you go in your journey, the closer you get to Christ, right? the more that his spirit starts to, to, to not just fill your life, but overflow into your life. And the more that people see who he is, and if you are going to keep growing in your faith, then you will end up at this place. Right? And what he's telling us is that this is a natural progression of your faith, is to take on more responsibility the more you learn. Because, you know, I've, I've heard many different definitions of what a leader is. You know, but often one of the better ones that I've heard is just realizing, right, that you just, you're doing what, what you're doing and you do it so well, you're so knowledgeable of it, all of a sudden you look behind and realize someone's following you and suddenly you're a leader. Right, which I think is a great description of what James is describing here in this verse. 
right? The more that you pursue your faith, the more that you grow in your journey, the more you, all of a sudden you're going to look up and realize that there are people following your example, right? And so this, again, does not necessarily um, give us, right, just this, this challenge of saying, hey, reach this position in the church. No, this is church as a warning of saying, if you continue to grow in your faith, you're going to get to this point where you are a leader, Right? And you need to know the responsibility that comes with that point of your faith journey. So we can't just sit back and say, hey, I just won't teach anything. I won't volunteer to do anything. And therefore, I don't have to look at this verse. Because if that is our attitude, right, then our faith will not be alive. Our faith will not keep growing. And if your faith is not alive, then you need to refer back to chapter 2 that we looked at last week. Right? As James told us in that chapter, right, that faith needs to be alive. It can't be dead. You have to keep growing. So as we read this right now, what's the warning he gives us? He said that this is the natural progression of our faith. We're already, we are supposed to get to this level of our faith that we will be teachers or masters or experts or a PhD level in who God is and the way he works, right? Then when I get to this, what's the warning? Well, the warning is that we will be judged more strictly, okay? That, um, again, with, with knowledge comes responsibility, right? Leadership means that you, that people are looking up to you and they're following your example, they notice things that they didn't see before or that didn't matter before in your life. Again, the King James Version translates this judge more strictly phrase as we shall receive greater condemnation. Right, meaning that right, people are watching a lot closer at my life. Right, the more that I progress in my faith. Because leadership is held to a higher standard. And notice that James includes himself in this statement as he says, for we who teach are held, are judged more strictly. Right? James includes himself in this. Right? He understands the responsibility that comes with being a mature believer. And leadership is held to a higher standard. Right? Again, James just tells us the way that it is. And he's telling us to get ready for that. As you continue to progress in your faith, be ready for it. And again, we, we practice this truth in our culture. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we know this to be true. We hold our leadership to a higher standard. Right? If we didn't, right, then we would not know what the word scandal meant. But how many scandals have we all witnessed in our life? Right? Of positions of authority. Right? And political figures or whatever it might be, right? We we know this. We practice this concept in our in our culture. Right? And it's true in our faith. And as we realize that, and this we heed this warning from James, then we move on to verse two. Right? And then James moves on to verse two and he says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. Again, James just gives us the one-two punch here, right? right? You need to con continue to, to progress in your faith and to grow in your faith and move forward in your journey. And as you do that, you, you need to be an example worthy of following. Oh, and by the way, 
we all make mistakes. Now, as we read that phrase, right, as he tells us the truth, right, we know, we look at our own lives and say, yep, I make many mistakes. I can look at my life and say, yep, I make mistakes. All humans make mistakes. And all humans will let you down at some point because we make mistakes, because we're not God. We're not perfect. And I just say, because of this fact, and what James is telling us here, I encourage you, don't put your faith in any human. Right? Only put your faith in God and God alone. Don't, don't put your faith in any human, whether it's, it's your, your mentor, right? a parent, a pastor. Don't put your faith in any person. Yeah, I'll just tell you, as, as your pastor, is if I haven't let you down yet, I probably will. Because I'm not perfect either. Don't put your faith in me. Don't put your faith in the church. Don't put your faith in anything other than God. Now again, I'm, I'm not going to intentionally let you down. Right? But I'm human, just like you. And the church is made up of humans. And then James makes this huge, big statement in the second part of this verse, right? When he tells us that if we can control our tongue, that it equals perfection. Now, again, I don't wake up in the morning being like, wow, who can I, who can I disappoint today? Who can I let down today? Right? But I do oftentimes wake up and pray, Lord, Lord, help me to be exactly what you need me to be today. Help me to be the perfect Brian, that I can be today for you. Again, what key does James give us in this huge statement, right, is that if I can control my tongue, then I will be close to perfection, right? He tells us that controlling our tongue means you can control yourself in every other way. Now, as we read, again, this, this huge, bold statement that James makes, this, this big claim. Again, he tells us that that if we can control our tongue, then then everything else will fall into place. And James therefore challenges us to take on the toughest one first. Because I don't know about you, but there are many times in my life when I have opened my mouth and inserted my foot. There are times that I wish I wouldn't have said that. There are times when I'm like, I can't believe that just came out of my mouth. Right? And yet, it, it, is, it is hard to control our tongue. And yet, James tells us, if you tackle the toughest one first, then the rest will be easy. And then he dives deeper into this concept. He kind of, he kind of fleshes out this big statement, right, about controlling your tongue will equal perfection. And then he goes into this next section that we're going to read in verses 3 through 6. James chapter 3, picking up at verse 3, where he says, We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. And in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. 
and the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. I wonder what he really means. How important are our words? Again, as we read this, this section, Right, what James is, is reiterating to us is that the tongue has lots of influence and power. It has lots of influence and it has lots of power. Again, we know this to be true. Right? We, we've all heard motivational speakers right, step onto a stage and, and they can motivate us to do just about anything. Right? We've all known of, of the, the coach's speech at halftime that, that turn, turns the, the tone of the whole game. Right? We, we know like our words have lots of influence and a lot of power. Right? We know this to be true. Right? And James is just reiterating this fact and, and getting us to understand how powerful our words really are. Right? As he's backing up his huge statement that he made in verse 2. Right? And it all kind of culminates with this, this illustration of fire that he gives us in verse 6. Right? Where he says, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It's a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. Because we think about this, this concept of, of fire, again, something that that we use and interact with literally every day, right? This, this idea of fire. Okay, now, fire can be incredibly helpful and incredibly important part of our lives. Okay, in fact, we use fire for lots of things. Right? You might not even realize it in your life, but, but you, we use it all the time. We, we use it for heat, right, which is, gets to be real important in in this season of our life in Idaho, right? And again, whether you have a, a traditional wood-burning fireplace, right, or, or, or you um, have a gas furnace or whatever kind of heat you have in your house, it, it's fire that's heating your house, right? We also, not just for heat, but we use it for cooking, right? We use fire, right, for work and to create things, Right? Fire, in fact, can be incredibly helpful when it is contained and used for a specific purpose. Fire can be a really good thing. In fact, fire can enable our survival. And yet, that same fire, if, if it is not contained, if it is not used for a specific purpose, can also be incredibly destructive if it is left uncontrolled and left to run free. Right? We know this to be true. It, is, it can be destructive really fast. It can spread out of control really quickly. This is just far incredibly too real right now right? of how much loss we can sustain from fire if we watch the news and especially if you're connected to California in any way. Right? Is we understand the, the destructive power of fire. Of how it can create loss and, and it can drastically influence our lives 
from that point on, from the, from the destruction that it can bring. And as we realize, you know, this, the power of this illustration that, that James uses here, we need to always remember that fire must be constantly monitored and never ignored. Just like our words. Fire must be constantly monitored and never ignored, just like our words. Now, influence and power, we, we understand that our words can, can have lots of influence and power. That's not always a bad thing. Like we said, just like fire, it can be a good thing in our lives. Right? We see throughout Scripture, fire is used in all kinds of illustrations. In Acts chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. It says, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. The Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Again, this is an incredible miracle. Right? We celebrate Pentecost as followers of Jesus right? all the time. We see, again, the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in tongues of fire. Right? It, it can be... Our words, again, can be powerful and have great influence for the good. But we can also, again, see the opposite, right? That our words can have influence and power, and it can be very destructive. Proverbs 26, 20 says, Fire goes out without wood, and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. Because words can be powerful and influence for the good, but words can also have power and influence for the bad. Again, and when it comes to our world, especially in our American culture, we love our gossip. Right? We, we love to hear about the, the juicy stories about other people and, and what's going on and, and how much you know, better we are than them, right? Or whatever, right? We love our gossip. But the gossip columns are not just found in the grocery store checkout line anymore. Right? In fact, we, we have it at our fingertips all the time. We carry those bits of gossip with us all the time on our phones. Right? Whether it's about celebrities or political figures or just about the people around the corner, right? is we are never short of gossip and drama. Because in our world, in our culture, we love our gossip. And guess what? What's true in our world and our culture is true in our churches too. Hey, gossip can be one of the biggest problems in a typical church. And we share gossip in the church in lots of different ways. One of our favorite ways that we stay addicted to our gossip is through our prayer request list. And just as we get test, testified today, right, of the power of prayer, and, and it is very powerful, and we need to share our burdens with each other, but yet we can share prayer requests without gossiping. Because nothing will tear apart a church faster than gossip and rumors. And my hope in prayer is that gossip and rumors will have no place in Oregon Trail. And and that gossip and rumors won't have any place in any church in our community or in our world. Right? And again, how do we stop that? Well, it starts with each one of us. 
of realizing that our words have influence and power and that it's a power to be destructive or the power to unify and, and, and to, for the good and to, to enable God's spirit to work. And yet when we think about, again, am I a part of gossiping? Do I love gossip as much as our world does? Now I want to present a standard to test yourself with on whether you're a part of gossip or not. Okay, this is the standard. Okay, if you are not directly connected to the problem or directly connected to the, to the solution, then you are gossiping. Okay, if you're talking about it and you're not directly connected to the problem or directly connected to the solution, then you are gossiping. Now, as you think about that, and, and we also need to realize that gossip takes two people. Right, just something I tell my boys all the time is like, it takes two people to fight. It takes two people to gossip. Which means if you are, are saying it, or if you are listening to it, then you are involved in the gossip. Like, just as I tell my kids, right, if, if you don't engage, then there's not a fight. Right, if you don't listen to it, then there's not gossip. Right, and as we think about this challenge that this presents, right, of, again, how destructive or how, how unifying can my words be, then we move into the final section of chapter 3, okay, which, um, there, at least the final section we're going to cover today, we're going to cover the rest of it next week, okay, is verses 7 through 12. Thinking of it, verse 7, it says, People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Again, what is James teaching us now about our words and about taming our tongue? He's teaching us with these verses that the key to taming our tongue is integrity. Okay, the key to taming our tongue is integrity. Again, when we think about integrity, that's one of those words that we throw around a lot. Right, we throw around in our, in our world, especially in the world of the church, and think, what does integrity really mean? Okay, well, today to illustrate that, I want to use this candle, and just, just an example, right? We come to church, right, and we hear the truth of God's word. We get filled with his spirit. Maybe we accept Christ as our Savior for the first time, and we see, again, the power of God at work in our lives, and it lights a light in our life. Right, and we come to church and we get refueled and we get relit, whatever it means. And then we, we, we feel that power of God living in us. And then we walk out the door after church. Right, and we walk into some other situation in our life. Right, whether we show up at work or we're talking to our neighbor or whatever it would be. And, and we're not sure we want to shine this light in that context. And so we blow that one out and we just light this one. And say, for that moment, for that person, and that interaction, I'm going to be this person. And I'm going to shut this one off. And then that's, 
We put on that, that mask, we put on that face in that situation, and then we walk away from that one, and we try to light this one again. And we think, yep, I'm good, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a great Christian, I'm, I'm doing good. Right? And then we walk into another situation, and well, I don't want to be held to a higher standard. And the referee made the wrong call because it was not past interference. And this is the picture of a complete lack of integrity. So then we blow it out. And we come back to church. Right, and we lay our, our sins at the altar again. And we ask God to relight who we really are. And who we really want to be in Christ. And I want my words to represent him all the time so that I can walk into every situation and be exactly the same person. No matter what the refs do, no matter what my coworkers say, no matter what the neighbor accuses me of, and I'm going to be the same person in every situation. And that's what integrity is. And whether I'm online and saying it to a screen or I'm saying it face to face, right? I'm going to say the same kind of words. Because words are powerful. And they influence things. And they have the power to unify and to heal. Or they have the power to be destructive and to rip things apart. And I want to be the same person no matter where I go. Whether I'm in church or at home or at work or on the sports field or whatever it might be. That's what integrity is. Right? And then when we realize that and, and think about that and say, say, God, as I leave here, help me to keep this candle lit. No matter what. Because I don't want to be what James tells us we oftentimes are. Because sometimes we praise our Lord and Father, and sometimes we curse those who've been made in the image of God. And in blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth, but surely this is not right. And yet the reason it stings so bad is because we learn and we know what James is just trying so desperately to get us to understand, and that is that our words are an overflow of our heart. As he says in verse 12, right, does a fig tree produce olives or grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Right, and I hope that we can all come to the foot of the cross this morning and realize that God purifies and transforms our hearts. That no matter how many candles we have burning in our life, that we can clean up our words. And it starts with repentance. Just, it's just between you and your God and his grace and mercy to make you a fresh spring again. To relight the one candle that truly represents who you are. And then to walk out into this world with a commitment to stay that fresh spring.
Is that an easy thing to do? Nope. Which is why James challenges us to tackle the toughest one first. Take care of your words and the rest will all fall in place. This leads us to my final thought this morning, and that's this. The more that we grow in our faith, the more important the details of our life become, especially how we use our tongue. What do your words reveal about your heart? Again, I can't answer that question for you, but I want you to answer that question. And if you don't know, then ask God, and I know he'll tell you. And again, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you're at in your faith journey But if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I hope that you would do that today. Join the journey of faith. And if you have and you're moving forward in your faith, if you're moving forward in your journey today, I hope that we can all represent Jesus to this world because the truth is people are watching. And we need to be people of integrity and only carry one candle into every area of our life. God, that is our prayer this morning. God, no matter where we are on our journey of faith, God, we want to be closer to you. God, we want to continue to grow and to to change and be transformed by your spirit. And God, I pray, Lord, that no matter where we are, Lord, that that will be our prayer. God, that you will continue to transform our life. God, that that we will take you into this world this week. God, that we will shine your light in, in every situation and especially in every conversation. God, we love you. We thank you for not giving up on us because we all make many mistakes. But God, we praise you, Lord, for forgiving us, for making us a fresh spring all over again. God, so that we can better represent you. Lord, help us this week to take that next step in our faith. We love you. We thank you. We praise you today. Be with us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.